recording? All right, good morning, everyone. Today was our privilege to study from the book of Acts, and there's plenty to learn here, plenty of ways to have a better understanding of Luke Acts. So let's begin with prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for the fellowship of the saints, for the authority of Scripture, for the opportunity to learn what you've said, believe what you said, and apply it to our lives in obedience and faithfulness by your grace. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, today we are in Acts 16, and we looked at this section here, and I mentioned this last week, that Luke has a big, what we call, the inclusio or bracketed bunch of material. Lydia's mentioned in Acts 16 uh, and 15, and then it's not mentioned again until Acts 16:40. But what was going on in between is a lot of ministry. And so her role, Lydia's role, was um, what uh, Dr. Tannehill calls a local sponsor. So they went to Philippi, they went out by the river to the place where some people were praying, and some people came to faith, particularly Lydia, and she ends up being a sponsor that helps facilitate ministry in, in Philippi, and God used her, and so God uses people as they go along, and so let me quote Tannehill on this. The references to Lydia and her household form a frame around the rest of the episode and show an interest in the key role of a patroness of the community and hostess for the missionaries in the founding of a church. Although there have been previous references to local hosts and hostesses in connection with the work of Peter, that would be Simon the Tanner, and then also, um, we have here Cornelius, Simon the Tanner, Cornelius, Mary. Um, hold on a second. I got to get a windscreen. Give me something to edit out there, all that junk. Yeah, let's try that. All right, so then God is using different people. That's the point. <clears throat> Tannehill continues this is the first such reference since the narration. Paul's mission began in Acts 13. From this point, the narrator, that's Luke, mentions other local sponsors in Paul's mission. Jason, Quill and Priscilla, Titius Justus. And so here now we have Lydia. And the reason I mention that is one thing we need to know. We need to just be available. Remember I've said many times, how do you know what your spiritual gifts are? You show up ready to serve. That's all you do. You show up. We each have our own gifts. We have motivations and different talents, things that we like to do that God gave us. And in God's oversight of his church, he uses people. Lydia was simply doing what Lydia did because of who she is as she came to Christ. She wanted to help the missionaries. And God used her, and she ended up in the Bible. 
Can you imagine that? And God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. It's not because they took a motivational seminar. It's not because they always say positive things only or they claim something. It's because they showed up and faithfully served by God's grace. Who knows what God's going to do through you? I don't know. We don't have people take tests, find out their gifts. People just show up and serve. And he gets us to the right place at the right time using whatever gifts he gave us. So that's what happened with Lydia. Now let's move to this spirit of divination. And we have now an interaction with a, a person with an evil spirit. Acts 16, 16, and 17. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, quote, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation, unquote. Now we'll see in the next slide that, the next verse that Paul put up with this for a while and then stopped it. But let's look at what's going on here with the spirit of divination. Literally in the Greek, the spirit is called a python spirit. A python spirit. Now, she's doing music today, but my daughter Jessica has been studying ancient Roman and Greek literature and reading a lot of primary source material and books about that. And so I asked her what she knew about this python spirit, so she sent me a whole page. And one of the things I want us to take away from this, besides the main point is the power of God over everything, including evil and evil spirits. But it's amazing the historical accuracy of Luke. He is right on in regard to geography, systems of government, places, travel, modes of travel, names of things, how things were done, and Luke's description of what happens is perfectly in accord with what was going on in the world at that exact time, in the both Jewish and Greek worlds, and Roman. So to question the historicity of Luke Acts is absurd. As a matter of fact, the accuracy is amazing. And in fact, Luke's accuracy has been so clearly demonstrated that some of the earlier liberal theories don't even come to the surface anymore. They don't even tell them. They used to think that this stuff was made up hundreds of years later by the church. Well, that's been disproven not only by manuscript finds, but the fact that this stuff is what it is. It's just utterly accurate. And Luke claimed to be an eyewitness and that he traveled with Paul. It was evidenced by the we 
mentions in his uh, discussion of their missionary journey. So Luke was there. He was part of this. He was well-educated. He was articulate in the Greek language and had a very uh, high level of, of vocabulary and grammatical skills. So all the evidence says Luke actually wrote Luke Acts. And so let me I'll read some things. This comes from uh, my daughter Jessica about this python and how it had roots in Greek mythology. And so quoting from her material, Python in Greek mythology was the serpent dragon that guarded the oracle of Delphi on Mount Parnassus. When Apollo's mother Leto was pregnant with him by Zeus, Hera was outraged and sent Python to hunt Leto so that she could not give birth where the sun shines. Leto gives birth on a newly formed island of Delos, and Apollo quickly grows to adulthood. Zeus then sends him to capture control of the Oracle of Delphi and slay Python. Okay, now that's where our word Python comes that Luke uses in the Greek. A sibyl, that's a prophetess, was said to sit over a cleft in the rock being put in a trance by vapors out of the earth where she then heard from Gaia, the earth goddess. By the way, when I was in seminary, there were theological journal articles written about this Gaia hypothesis. Has anyone ever heard of that? It's the idea that the earth is sort of a goddess, a, a spiritual goddess entity that has a being in its own right. And so that's their, um, one way they teach their panentheism is through this Gaia hypothesis. I may have written about it one time. Yeah, you hear about the Gaia. So the earth is your mother, and they take that quite literally. So the earth is a spiritual breathing, real goddess. Okay, so that's Gaia, the earth goddess. There was a great battle between Apollo and Python, which Apollo wins capturing Oracle. So anyhow, there's a bunch of things that happen. Pytho, spirit, uh, dragon, Python. So then Jessica says, Python, Pythia and Python were very much linked to the idea of occultic, prophetic knowledge. And this goes way back to the 4th and 5th century um, B.C., but it went forward as well. She said there was an oracle at Delphi existed in various rebuilt temples until it was destroyed in 390 A.D. So you go back centuries B.C., go forward to 390 A.D., you got Python, and a Python spirit that was a Pythoness that could give oracles. And so the word Pythoness meant a witch or diviner, in that world. That's what this girl was. And there was a reality to this because she was uh, profound enough in whatever it was she had to say that the slave owner who owned her 
her masters, made money by her fortune-telling. Okay? So, um, this is historically accurate. Dr. Schnabel also mentions that. Uh, this python was a female dragon or snake called python. Mentions some of the same things that Jessica does. Now, what are we to make of this? Notice there's, she's saying, now, by the way, this was considered to be coming from the belly. That was part of the deal. This, from the inner belly, what comes out this python spirit that speaks oracles. And that's what was going on. So she says, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. That's somewhat accurate. Maybe that's why Paul let it go on for a while. Yes. I was just going to say, I've heard somebody say that uh, end of 17, it could be a way of salvation. Is that Greek? And was the Greek? Let me look. The question was, is it a way of salvation or the way of salvation? Let me see if I can find my Greek text in all of my notes here. Here it is, 17. Yeah, there's no definite article. Humin hodon soterius, to you a way of salvation. But I think there's a bigger, that's, that's true. It is also the case that this phrase, the most high God was used in their world for Zeus as well. So it wasn't really a clear statement about the gospel. Um, the, Luke doesn't tell us why Paul waited a few days to deal with it. Yes. The demons know the truth. They know. Yeah, I'm going to show that through, eventually through some scripture, that they recognize Jesus. Yeah, they've been in that spirit world. Okay, here's what I tell people because I get so many emails about deliverance. The spirits have been in the realm of the spirits for thousands of years. Okay? They're not omniscient, but they know things that we don't. And it's not really our business to know these things, because it's forbidden knowledge. The occult is forbidden. It means secret. Secret things belong to God. And so the spirits know things that we don't. And the reason we don't know them is God chose not to reveal them to us. And they're deceptive. And so the spirits are going about with this material. That's where your occultism comes in. People lust for what's not allowed, what's not known. That's why it's called occult. But there's enough uh, fact that they say things that people decide they want to hear and they want to know. They lust for secret knowledge. Therefore, what the Bible does is it gives us tests of spirits so that we won't be deceived. Anything that claims to be from a spiritual source is something we can discern and know. Okay? Now, she gets something wrong here because she doesn't understand the true gospel, and her slave owners were just trying to make money. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. 
If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them, you, you shall not listen to the words of the prophet or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. So we got to have an accurate doctrine of God. And since the Most High, the term the Most High God was used in their culture to refer to Zeus, there's not a clear doctrine of God coming from this. Plus it was occultic uh, in its very nature, being a python spirit or an oracle. So it doesn't matter if some of these occultists get certain things right sometimes. Most of the time they don't. It's still false because they're serving a different God. Divination, here's another issue, was prohibited under the Old Testament law. Deuteronomy 18.10. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, or one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens or sorcerer. So that would just disqualify this person with the python spirit. Because that's her trade, or her master's trade, divination. So we have another interaction here in Luke X between Christ and his apostles and the world of the spirits. And there's a theme in Luke X about that, and I hope we can explore that and see what God is telling us through this. Dr. Peterson, in his commentary, says salvation in material and spiritual ways was the object of vows and prayers to many gods in the Greco-Roman world. And it was the desired object set before initiates in various mystery cults. Salvation in Luke's understanding involved forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit through trusting in Israel's Messiah, says Peterson. With the ultimate blessing of sharing God's eternal kingdom through the resurrection. What the slave girl was seeing was true on one level, but doubtless lacked these gospel perspectives. Unquote. Dr. Peterson. I want to make a statement here. We'll go to the next slide. In a sense, it was ironic that some of what she says was right. I think it's ironic. But she and her owner would not have the gospel as the true definition of salvation. Ironically, they were proclaiming the way of salvation. But she didn't know what that was. And the masters, as we'll find, only wanted money. We're never told exactly what happens to her vis-a-vis Christ and the gospel. Luke goes more to the issue of um, the, the slave owner and the interaction with civil authorities. Steve, Jessica wants you to ask her something when you get up there, if you don't mind. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> the content of Paul's message was the true gospel. Wow. So. Yes. Can you make a comment about some Christian Christian churches that cross the line into divination 
like the charismatic church? Can you get into that? Well, yes, it's, it's very common, and I've written quite a few articles about it, and actually had a person-to-person conversations with um, people who were doing that. All right? And I can tell you exactly what happens. This one guy was coming into town claiming to be a prophet from God and going from church to church and getting paid, you know, whatever he got paid in these churches, giving uh, prophecies. And he was claiming he could predict the future and have supernatural information beyond what's in Scripture. So two of us, my, myself and an, another brother that did discernment, had lunch with the guy and pleaded with him to not to persist in this sort of thing because it wasn't valid. And what they claim, here's what they claim, all right? They claim that their prediction of the future falls into the category of 1 Corinthians 14. Let the prophets speak two or three and then let the others judge. So they, rather than defining prophecy as it is in 1 Corinthians 14, which is edification, exhortation, and comfort, all right, it's the bringing forth scripture. I wrote an article about that. Here's what the scripture says. Here's how it applies to us. That's what we do here. They take that and apply it to people saying, I'm the prophet of God, like the fivefold ministry. So they're like the foundation of the church, the prophet of God, and they make these grand pronouncements and claim to know things in the spirit world and so on and the future. And then they're wrong at times, usually wrong. And he said, you can't judge me because it said, look, just because I was wrong once or twice because of 1 Corinthians 14. So then we corrected him. No, no, what applies is Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18. If you're wrong at all, you're a false prophet. If you're predicting the future. They just say, no, we don't accept that. Okay, so I wrote an article about another guy who claims to be a prophet, was making predictions. And I got the article written before the predict timing of the prediction, which was October of uh, 2015. Predicted economic chaos was coming to America because the farmers were not practicing the Old Testament Jewish law of not planting every seven years. So I wrote an article, uh, Jonathan Kahn, that was the name of this guy. So I wrote an article saying no, America is not Israel. We're, there's no law of God commanding the farmers in America they can't plant every seven years. And furthermore, you don't know what's going to happen. And he said, well, I may or, this may or may not happen. So I said, I just used logic. I said, I, Rich, I said to him in my article, okay, so before I read this guy's book, I knew that the stock market may or may not crash. Because it's always may or may not crash. I already, I knew that before. Now I read his book, and I don't have one bit more knowledge than I had before. So he's telling us, it's probably going to crash, but I might be wrong. That's worthless. 
Because you can't have a prophet with an uncertain message. The Bible says that. This might happen. That might happen. The other thing might happen. But if you're going to say, thus saith the Lord, this will happen, and you're wrong, you are a false prophet, and we are commanded to not listen to you. Well, so I said, we said that to this other guy. I can't remember his name. This was in the 80s. He said, you're killing me. You're crucifying me. You're attacking me. And I said, no, you're harming the church. If you want to be a Christian minister, learn the gospel and learn the Bible and teach that. Well, I'm a prophet. And we just couldn't get anywhere with the guy. So good question. Whoever's listening, if they're claiming to be an authoritative prophet, speaking binding words from God beyond Scripture, meaning that if you don't listen to them and do what they say, then you're sinning against God. We know they're false. Number one, there are no authoritative apostles and prophets after the death of the biblical ones. That's one reason we know they're wrong. Number two, we know they're wrong because none of them are ever 100% right anyhow. And when they're wrong, they've been proven to be a false prophet, and they should be shut down immediately. They should be banned from any churches, and they should be commanded to repent. But they're not shut down. They get tons of money. They make videos. They fly around the country, and they keep on doing their false prophecy. Now, I get emails from a guy who fits that category. And uh, Todd Bentley is his name. And it's just crazy. He's, he's claiming to reveal realities about the heavenly sphere. He has courses you can take. And it's, it just goes on and on and on. We don't know what God hasn't revealed. So Todd Bentley might as well be this slave girl with the spirit of Python. Trying to reveal things that God hasn't chosen to reveal. So they continue on. Why? Because people want to hear. They got itching ears. They heap teachers unto themselves. They pay their bills. They send them money. They buy their materials. This guy that was proven wrong when the, when the, when the economy did not collapse in October 2015, he's still out there. More books, more videos. Still a big star. I get nasty letters from people telling me I'm an anti-Semite because I corrected a guy. I got with that recently, and I said, wait a second. I love the Jews. I love Israel. I, we pray for Israel. We support Israel. And that's an absurd claim. I don't, the fact that he's Jewish isn't why there's a problem. The problem is claiming to be a prophet when you're not one. And it's a problem to tell the farmers in America that if they plant their crop every year, they're sitting against God and bringing a curse on America. How can you do that? My dad was a farmer. I understand these things. I understand what it takes to survive on a farm. And this guy was a false teacher, false prophet, and he keeps on doing it. He never repented. He never admitted he was wrong. He just kept right on. And because Eric and I stood against it, we were rejected by a bunch of our former friends. Right, Eric? 
well, we won't listen to you anymore because you don't go along with our favorite false prophet. <laughs> yes. You should get Google, Facebook, and Twitter to shut them down. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Google, Facebook, and Twitter. That'll happen. Uh, one more thing. Yes. Have you heard of actual demon possession in some of these people that belong to charismatic churches? I don't doubt that there are spirits that are real that actually speak through people, because I've seen it. All right? I'm not accusing anybody. I don't know the spirit realm. But these sort of things still happen. The spiritual world is still real, and there are people affected by it. And there are people that interact with spirits. And I've spent a lot of my adult life warning people about doing that and why they don't want to do that and why they need to flee to Christ and trust in Christ and be under the authority of Christ and not try to personally rearrange the demonic world. We've got to talk about that. This will probably take a few weeks, but don't worry, we'll be learning Luke-Acts. Because I'm going to go back into Luke and show some of these interactions. I don't know if you know this, Rich, but in the 70s, I was in a deliverance ministry. And I saw just about everything. But what got me out of it was the fact that after five years of seeing all these things happen, the same people had the same problems. And they weren't getting better, and they weren't changing. And I started doubting that deliverance was therapy for Christians. And I had to go back and rethink everything. And I finally decided, I'm going to go by Scripture alone. I can't let an experience make my theology. What people say what about their symptoms, about what I see happen, that's all fine, but it's not where you get the ground of your theology. Can I go back to Scripture? I, now, then I start, eventually start writing about it. Okay. Are the spirits real? Yes. Are people affected? Yes. Do some people have manifestations? Yes. What should they do? Flee to Christ and trust him alone. And turn it all over to Jesus Christ. All of it. And I tell people that no matter what they've gone through, and I still interact, I still talk to people, I still email, because I want to help people. I tell them, hang on to the truth of the gospel. This is relational. It's not symptomatic. And I'm going to try to show you that deliverance is not therapy for Christians. The deliverances in Luke Acts are proof of the truth of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ over everything. We're going to look at back, we're going to do a review, Luke Acts 2 volume work. I want to do a review, go back to the guy of the Gerasenes who had all the demons. And what's Luke's point? That's what matters. What is Luke telling us? All right? It's real enough, but we got to know how we get free. So let's go to that getting free part. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. The word, I, it was very annoying. He didn't need her advertising. These men proclaim the way the, the most high God, the true way of salvation. He was annoyed. Why let, we don't know. Luke just tells us it went on for some days. So he was annoyed. There's three aorist verbs. Aorist is point in time in the past. He was annoyed, turned, sad. 
I command you. He said to the spirit. So he spoke directly to the evil spirit speaking through the slave girl. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. So she's now delivered. But as we'll find out, her masters were never very mad because this was their ticket to money. Even to this day, people are using this sort of thing, not exactly in the same way, but their supposed knowledge of the world of the spirits, they're using it to cash in. Sometimes under the banner of Christianity, sometimes through things like yoga. If you haven't heard it, I hope you have, but if you haven't heard it, Jessica and I did an interview with a lady, Amy Russell, who we've known since she was a girl, and she was not serving God, living out in California, and she got totally into kundalini yoga, as far into it as you could possibly get. She did everything they said. She practiced it fervently and diligently, and this kundalini, she knew all the terminology, all the things they say, and talking about a serpent spirit, And we did a 12-part interview of her. It's on CICMinistry.org. And she exposed this for what it was and how eventually, after years of doing kundalini yoga, the spirits, God allowed her, the spirits just turned on her, and she saw how evil this was and how it was destroying her, where it was really coming from. you got to hear that interview. And she came to Christ. She cried out to Christ because she knew what the truth was. She just wasn't living it. God bless her. Yes, Steve. I listened to that interview and I thought it was excellent because of how it, uh, she she kept mentioning the whole time throughout the 12-part interview that the Holy Spirit was still calling her, still wooing her, still uh, asking her to be a Christian asking her to come back to the to the Lord, which she knew, as I understand, uh, as a young child. Right. So, so that whole time, although she ignored that, <coughs> turned it away, the Holy Spirit was more powerful than the demons, and she turned her heart back to Christ. Amen. Awesome Thank you, Steve. Steve Ziff just pointed out that was a great interview and how she had mentioned that she always knew in the back of her mind. Yep that God was after her and the Holy Spirit was after her, but then she finally came to Christ. Now, we're not denying the reality of this, but we're saying that the only way of escape is through Christ and the gospel, not rearranging the demons. But this Kundalini Yoga, if you listen to that series, is very real. And people who have yoga in their churches you might think, well, that can't be. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's in churches. And they advertise it. They think it's just exercise or it's relaxation. No, the whole point is to get in touch with this spirit. It's not right. It's evil. So that's why it's still pertinent. We need to understand this. Now, we know that she was a fortune teller, and, I, and the word used in the Greek 
Montuomai. Um, let me just read from the uh, Greek dictionary on that one of this fortune telling of Acts 16, 16. Um, it's deponent, deponent means, that's where the omai oh ending is. It's deponent. A soothsayer, diviner, from rich menomai, to be mad beside oneself, to divine or utter spells. It says here, such soothsayers raged, foamed, screamed, making strange and terrible noises, sometimes gnashing their teeth, shaking, trembling with strange emotions. Even the Greek Plato calls people caught up in such ecstasy possessed of madness. And so this was certainly condemned by the Bible, but common enough in the ancient Greek world. So they wouldn't think it a strange thing that this slave, these slave owners had a girl like this who was possessed and was making a lot of money for them. People will pay to get information from the spirit world. The occult is very lucrative. We see that theme in Luke X. Remember, well, remember we haven't covered it yet, but you've read Acts. Looking forward, remember the when they sold the magic arts that they had? 50,000 pieces of silver? There's, there's a money issue, and that's why some of these riots started, because Paul and his other preachers were rebuking these things, and people were repenting of them, and a lot of money was at stake. Remember, they said, this Artemis, Artemis the Great, remember they were making silversmith, making statues? She'll be dethroned from her magnificence. They were worried about their goddess getting dethroned in Ephesus. So that's why there was these riots. So um, Paul finally says, come out of her. It came out that very moment. So I make this statement here on my slide. Paul acts with apostolic authority, which was pre- pre- previously given to the 12, Luke 9-1, and the 70 or 72, depending on how you, which manuscript you follow. Luke ten seventeen, And so we have here these um, previous instances where Jesus gave this authority that he had to the apostles. Yes? Um, you've said before that railing against the, the, the evil spirits is rebelling against God. We don't have that no, we're not the apostles. And remember when we went through Jude? I, I've, I've covered Jude a number of times, and so has Eric. That's what the false teachers were doing. They wanted to rearrange the divine council. But they weren't invited to the meeting. That's, the divine council isn't their council meeting to go to. That's God's meeting. Now, let's look at Paul having the same authority as the 12. In uh, Luke 9, 1, 
it says this, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Now, the point of this is to show that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be and that his apostles had his authority. So that the foundation of the church is Christ and his apostles and prophets. That's what we're wanting to learn. Now, where some of this current stuff comes from that confuses people is they think the point is symptom relief. The point, they say, is symptom relief. And when I get emails, because I wrote an article a couple decades ago telling a story about when I was in the deliverance ministry and some of the remarkable things we saw happen that kept me there longer than I should have been, they, call, they email me or call me and want to know how they can gain symptom relief. What do I mean by that? Well, they say, I can't sleep at night. I have bad dreams. I have demons crawling around on my skin. I have weird thoughts going into my mind. I have dreams that are so real that it has to be from demons. And they say, can you help me? And they're willing to spend a lot of money. That's what I'm saying. This is lucrative. Some of the deliverance counselors like Bob Larson charge thousands of dollars just to see somebody, to meet with them. Thousands. You can spend more money than you would go on to get surgery. And I've talked to people who have already spent thousands and thousands trying to get the demons out of them. And you know what they tell me? Well, it didn't work. And I'm contacting you because I think maybe you could help me. I said, well, I can tell you how you get help if you want to hear it. You need to go to Christ and turn it all over to him. You have trouble with Satan? Do what Paul did Second Corinthians 12. Turn over to God. You just uh, tell the Lord, I'll love you and serve you by your grace. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. What you allow the devil to do or not do is only going to make, make me serve you all the more. Do that. But what if it didn't go away? Well, you, so you're not willing to serve God unless you get symptom relief first. One guy said, well, maybe you're right, but I think I'm going to try this guy. He only charges $579 for a 45-minute session of curse breaking. And so he, he didn't listen to me. He went and spent his 579 Then he emailed me. He said, well, I spent the 579 but it didn't work. You know, the people are so desperate for symptom relief, they're willing even to bail on the gospel if they think they can get symptom relief. And they're assuming that these accounts in Luke Acts are about how you get symptom relief. When in reality, what Luke is telling us is how you can escape from the very domain of Satan there are two domains in the world, the domain of darkness and the domain of light. Jessica, I told them about that 12-part series we did with Amy. Yeah. 
And she tells what it was like in this domain of darkness. And then she got out. She's in the domain of light by turning to Christ. Does that mean you'll never have any symptoms? You never have any doubts? Satan never launches a counterattack? You never have a bad dream? No, we're, nobody's promising that. We don't know what, what's going to happen. But we know that you're never going to back off from everything goes to the throne of grace. Here's what changes. Rather than fishing around in the world of the spirits, hoping for symptom relief, you go directly to Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God with all authority over all things, including the spirits, and he personally hears you and gives you grace. Amen. Go to Christ. Yeah, but I had a bad dream. Go to Christ. But maybe the spirit didn't go out. Go to Christ. Here's what happens. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's based on observation. And so decide whether you think it's significant or not. Here's my based on observation over 45 years. When you interact with the spirits, you get manifestations. When you interact with the spirits, you get manifestations. People have often wondered, why do you hear about all these manifestations out on the mission field, but you don't in America? Well, that's not true anymore, because you do in America. But 30 years ago, they said, well, we don't, what is this? How come we don't see this in America? But you, you do out in the mission field. Well, I got, an, I got, let me give you what I think is a reasonable explanation. For a long time in America, people did not interact with spirits. In fact, most people were materialists and didn't know there were any spirits. But on the other cultures, diviners, soothsayers, witch doctors, gurus are everywhere. They're almost in every community. And they're considered highly important people. And those people are professionals in interacting with the spirits. And they get manifestations. The manifestations cause people to think that some good is happening. In other words, a spirit seemingly goes out and there's a scream or somebody will clap. I saw all of this. Collapse on the floor. All of a sudden they say, well, I feel better now. I think something happened. Okay. When you interact with spirits, you get manifestations. Now, Paul, the apostle with authority from Jesus Christ to do this, cast out the spirit and the change was she wasn't able to manifest her python spirit anymore. That shows the veracity of the gospel and the power of God. But many, many deliverance teachers think that's not about apostolic authority of Paul and Christ and his apostles it's about therapy, and we need to do it now. We need to have therapeutic interaction with demons. And I'm saying not even the apostle, when he needed help because of a thorn in the flesh, interacted with the demon. He went to God and asked him to remove 
this messenger from Satan, literally in the Greek, an angelos, angel of Satan. Now, um, so in Luke 9, 1, he, they were given authority. And then there were 70, Luke 10, 17 to 20. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus gave them the authority. They went out, and they had power over the demons. Drew attention to the gospel. But if you want to turn to this, Luke 10, 17 to 20. Luke 10, 17 to 20. Very, very important section. The reason we're going back is Luke Acts is a two-volume work. I preached on this, but I think that was like 2006. And probably most of you weren't here then when I was preaching on this section. So we're doing a review. Luke 10, 17 to 20. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Look at his response, verse 18. He said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now that gets a lot of different interpretations. It's interesting. They're all excited. Wow, even the demons are subject to us. Now let's just think about that. In that world they were in, where manifestations were very, very common. People knew very well about demons and what they did. Having the power for demons to be subject to you conceivably could make you wealthy. The slave owner got wealthy off of demonic manifestations. The oracle, the python spirit. Or if people have bad things going on, to get rid of them would be worth a lot of money. Today, people are getting rich offering deliverance from demons. And so they're saying, wow, look at this. The demons are subject to us. Now, why does Jesus say, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning? Now, here's how uh, Rich, you asked about some of the churches that teach prophets and all this. They interpret it to say, when we cast out demons, we're casting Satan out of heaven. Yes, that's what they say. In other words, this is a process, and every time we cast out another demon, Satan is gradually getting thrown out of heaven. Charismatics, frankly. I'm not saying there are no orthodox charismatics, but that's where this usually is. That's where I always heard it. Now, okay, let's just keep thinking about this in a big scheme of Luke-Acts. I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look at verses 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Now, look back at verse 17. Look at 20 and 17 in your Bible. 17, they return with joy. 20, don't rejoice in this. Hold on, keep reading, think about it. They were rejoicing, and Jesus saying, don't rejoice in this. Why? Because he sees a danger. He sees danger. 
So what is this? I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Well, I believe that this is a proleptic statement. And it's stating what will happen. What happened at the original fall of Satan. But right now, if you read all the way through Revelation, Satan is what? The accuser of the brethren. Is that not right? And how often does he do that? <laughs> day and night. He accuses them day and night. He endlessly accuses the brethren. When is Satan thrown out of heaven? At the very end. You know, the accuser of the brethren is cast down. Hasn't happened yet. Proleptic is when you make a present statement of a certain future reality that hasn't got here yet. Have you ever heard of prolepsis? We use it in, in English. We use it in sports all the time. Let's say it's the beginning of the fourth quarter and the Vikings are down 30 points. Now, you can't imagine that, can you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you all can imagine that. All right, so the Vikings are down 30. It's the beginning of the fourth quarter they're going to try to come back they fumble a ball away and the other team gets it and so the announcer says well the Vikes have lost another game but the game's not over but it's certain that it's a loss so that's a proleptic statement so this watching is proleptic it's what will happen Satan will be cast out of heaven but it doesn't happen until the end. But what does that got to do with what they were saying and their rejoicing? Clearly, the joy had a danger to it as well because they could start thinking about the wrong thing. Do not rejoice in this. Yes, you do have authority. Why? To show the power of God for salvation through Christ. But don't rejoice that you have it because there's the danger. Yes, Linda. So that also influences how you see them? Um, because I have a, I know someone who really follows Andrew Womack, who teaches you to look at demons just as really tiny, small beings because you have Jesus in you and you have a total authority. You just see them. Here, why don't you repeat that? Do you want to give, give her that, Linda? So this would also influence like how you look at demons yourself. Because um, I was saying, I, I know someone who follows Andrew Womack a lot, who teaches you to just to look at demons as very tiny, small, insignificant things, because as you having Jesus in you, you are like, have total authority. Greater is he in you than he is in the world. Right, but, but you don't look at demons then as just tiny, you know, there's... The, the issue isn't how we look at them. The issue is how we relate to Christ vis-a-vis the demons. Right. So, I mean, I tried talking about how Michael, you know, Michael doesn't even right. rebuke them because she's very much into rebuking. God's them. in charge of the spirit world. Right. So You shouldn't talk to demons. That's bad. Right. Okay, listen. This is important, but we're running out of time. Hang on to that thought, Peter. Good, good comment. The issue isn't how important we think demons are or how big we think they are. 
It's our relationship with Christ. Okay. Because let me, I'd love if we could get this done. Nevertheless, he said, I give you all this authority. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Now, why bring up your names recorded in heaven in this context? Let's think about Satan and his attitudes. We know that he's in charge of the demonic realm. He went. He, he came to the divine council meeting in Job one six. What was wrong with him? Was it not pride? I will remember Isaiah. I will sin. I will exalt my throne. I will. I will. I will. So, having the attitude of Satan is is great danger of getting you the destiny of Satan. If your names are written in the book of life, you have a different de- destiny. Satan will be cast down later. So Jesus sees it already. I, I was watching that. But don't rejoice in this. And so the issue in Luke Acts, all of Luke, all of Acts, two-volume work, is not who is bigger than what demon it's whether your name is written in the book of life the battle is a battle about souls and when your name is written in the book of life you're under Christ you have access to the throne of grace Jesus is your Lord your sins are forgiven the demons might do this that or the other thing but they'll never dislodge your name from that book I know some people are are very troubled I get emails from some of the same people over years. And I finally convinced them, believe the promises of God. But at night I wake up with these vivid dreams and I think it's demons attacking me. Give it to Christ, believe the promises of God. And they get comforted. Three months later, it happened again. And I keep going back, believe the promises of God, send them the promise. I'm willing to be patient with that. If they'll listen and go to Christ, and know that their names are written in the book of life, let God deal with the demons, you'll have peace. But if you interact with the spirits, and you get sucked into this, and you buy an airplane ticket, fly out to see the exorcist, give him his $3,000 fee, and have him break all the curses and cast out all the demons... I've talked to so many people who've already done that, and they come back and say, I still got the demons. I also tell people, you don't know what the demons are doing. They're unseen. You don't know. It's complex. Maybe you didn't sleep because you, some people just have trouble sleeping. You don't know that's a demon. Just look at Christ, okay? So my point is this. You know, first, I was going to quote Joel Green's commentary about Luke 10. The decisive fall of Satan is anticipated in the future. But it's all already becoming manifest through the mission of Jesus and by extension through the ministry of his envoys. So as they preach the gospel, the deliverance that they couldn't get from the pagan witch doctors was coming 
through those authorized by Jesus to cast out demons are demonstrating that God is greater and that they can have their name recorded in the book of life. But don't rejoice that you have power because that's a great danger. That's worth a ton of money. That might lure you into the world of occultism. That's not where you want to go. You want to always go to that decisive victory through the cross where we have eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and assurance of salvation. Our names are written in the book of life. So thank you for allowing me to yet again try to explain from Luke X this interaction. We'll do more in a few weeks when I teach Sunday school again. I want to talk about the gathering demoniac and what we can learn from that in relationship to this sort of thing of the spirit going out. The python spirit went out. And then also the issue of money. Because that's what this comes down to. Now how are we going to get our money? People still making money off this. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness. Pray for Pastor Eric that you be with him as he preaches the word to us. Give him grace and wisdom to teach us the truth. Thank you, Lord, and be with each one in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.